All right. Well, we're going to start that right now, intro song. We've got Temple phoning in right now. So, uh, Temple Grandum, Grandum, ladies and gentlemen. Yes, this is Discuss the Truth, Ian Trottier. Hi, this is Temple Grandin. Well, Temple, thank you for. Uh, I, I, I sorry, I, I've seen you trying to phone in. Uh, I was I was with a, a couple of other uh, people I was interviewing. We had on Dr. Hall from from Miami Beach and Miriam Henning uh, from Los Angeles. Um, thank you for phoning in. I, I apologize for not answering, but uh, but this is the That's slot okay. of time. Uh, yep, and this is what uh, we're just going to do it on the phone. That's just fine. Wonderful. Uh, Temple, for listeners, uh, we are live with Winwood One right now. Uh, for listeners, would you please take a moment and introduce yourself if, uh, if folks are not in, uh, familiar with you? Yeah, my name's uh, Temple Brandon, and I am a professor of animal science at Colorado State University. I've also written a lot of stuff about thinking and using visual thinking to solve problems. That's wonderful. Uh, now, Temple, uh, tell listeners, what is it that got you interested in the animal studies? And, and I think uh, you study mostly um, cows, is that correct? Cattle, and I've done some things with pigs. Uh, what got me interested was back when I was 15, I visited my aunt's ranch. And this brings up a really important thing for students, is how do students find out things they might be interested in? Well, I got exposed to the beef cattle industry when I was 15, uh, when I visited my aunt's ranch, and that's one of the reasons I got interested in it. And, and students yep. tend to get interested in things they get exposed to, or they might go, oh, I tried that, and I don't like that at all. Right, right. And so you, uh, how old were you at that time with your aunt's ranch? I was 15. And whereabouts was this? The ranch was uh, down southeast Tucson in Elgin, uh, Canelo, Arizona, up by Fort Huachuca. This would have been in the early '60s. Now, Temple, you uh, you are on the what is referred to as the autism spectrum spectrum correct, disorder. Yep. You have autism, is that correct? That is correct. I had no speech until age four. Wow! And um, one thing that autism has done for me, it's made me an extreme visual thinker. And if you watch the um, HBO movie Temple yep. Grandin, it shows exactly how I think. Like the word shoe gets said, and I see a whole bunch of different uh, actual shoes I'd either worn or I or were popular at that time that I'm thinking about it. And all those images will enter your mind. Yeah, that, that's right. And it ends with a with a high top sneaker. Always style. That's interesting. Uh, and it's, that's your preferred foot, uh, footwear. Well, no. Right now, my preferred footwear is an Ariat boot, and. And I've got um, a bunch of those. I had to give a very brand new pair of Ariots away because I thought it came out of the same shipping container, but it came out of another shipping container, and it was slightly different, and they hurt my feet. Uh -huh. This is where uh, shoes are not always um, Equal. Uh, sized exactly. Right, right. Now, uh, tell, tell listeners a little more about the Temple Grandin movie, HBO. Uh, it, the actress Claire Danes played you. Um, That's correct, and she became me. Um, it shows visual thinking. It shows the projects I've designed. It also shows very nicely the excellent um, teachers that I worked with, um, my, uh, Mr. Carlock, my science teacher. And he got me interested in science, and then that gave me a reason to study. You know, studying wasn't just a study. I studied because it was a pathway to a goal. And this is high school you're speaking, or? This is high school I'm talking about, yes. 
And uh, did you consult with Claire? Obviously, you met with her and you had to tell her uh, how you would think through various uh, topics. Is that correct? Well, what Claire, um, I'll talk probably even more to the director, Mick uh, Jackson, and he totally understood how I think. And with the writer, Christopher Munger, and the producer, Emily Gerson Sains, I did spend half a day with Claire, which she videotaped. And then I gave her old tapes from the late 80s, which she played over and over again, where she just sort of became me. Now, tell, tell listeners, why is it that you, uh, uh, you, you began, so pigs and cattle uh, struck your interest uh, as, as a 15-year-old? Beef cattle, mainly. And, 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 and what was it about those two animals that interest you? Well, if you read my book, uh, Thinking in Pictures, um, when I got into adolescence, it's extreme anxiety. And I watched uh, beef cattle going in the squeeze chute to get their vaccinations. And I noticed it kind of uh, relaxed them. So I went and tried it out. So that was one of the things that you know started the interest. Um, but I just can't emphasize enough, um, you know, okay, now that kids are home with COVID, let's um, yeah. introduce them to tools. Let's introduce them to making art. Um, do some of the things that the schools have taken out that you can never right. do at home. Yeah, yeah, well said. Uh, you've also invented uh, a, a a box of some sort that uh, helps uh, children with autism uh, feel. Well, uh, yeah, I did, yeah, the squeezing machine or the hug machine. Deep pressure is calming for some children and adults on the autism spectrum. It doesn't work on everybody. Okay, but. Um, Weighted blankets actually now have gone mainstream. Right. I have a friend that has one. She's not autistic, and she likes to sit and watch TV with the weighted blanket because the pressure is calming. That's right. So that's regardless on the human being, it's it's calming regardless of uh, uh, their mental state, I suppose, be, be a way well, to, to say Well, autism, you know, half of Silicon Valley probably is on the autism spectrum. Your uh, station wouldn't be operating without uh, – you know, kind of the you know the nerdy guy that keeps everything going. He's probably on the autism spectrum. Um, Thomas Edison was probably on the autism spectrum. Einstein had no speech until age three. Really? Where? Yes, really. Where would Albert Einstein be today? Uh huh. Um, he'd probably be in special ed. Right, right, right. That's very interesting that you mentioned that temple. Uh, where, where? So there's. So currently, there is a debate in the vac with the vaccines, right? There's. I'm uh, not even going to discuss that. Okay, um, that's you know we've we've got a lot of listeners that uh, go one side or the other, and um, I can tell you right now, when yeah. they get a COVID vaccine, I'll be taking it. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, what? Tell the listeners about what you're doing right now at Colorado State. Well, right now, like most universities, we're still kind of locked down. Okay. So I've been doing a lot of writing. In fact, I'm working on a new book on visual thinking and how visual thinking can be really useful for solving problems. Because one of the things I observed in my work with uh, engineering stuff with the meat industry is you've got those clever guys in the shop that invent the clever mechanical equipment. Then you've got the more uh, mathematical engineers to do refrigeration and boilers, and we actually have a huge shortage of uh, people in the high-end skilled trades to invent things for factories. And back in the 80s and the 90s when I was work out working in construction, I worked with a couple of guys that had 20 patents each, and they would be definitely labeled autistic today. You know, we, we need these people. 
Right. So what is a person that's autistic? What does that, what does that well, mean? Basically, uh, a, brain, a brain can be more social-emotional or okay. a brain can be more thinking. So you take out some social circuits and then you have geek circuits to program all the computers that just took the, um, you know, makes all the airplanes fly and rockets work and makes your phones work. Uh-huh. But you're, you're a visual, you're, you I'm visualize visual things. There's actually three kinds of minds. There is the photorealistic visual thinker like me or object visualizer. Then there's the more mathematical pattern thinker. That's going to be a computer programmer. That's called visual spatial. In fact, in my book on the autistic brain, I show the scientific research that shows that these two kinds of visual thinkers exist. Somebody who thinks like in photographs the way I do, and then some that think much more in patterns and like mathematics. Uh-huh. And, and, and when, when, at what age did you realize that you learned by thinking in photos? I thought everybody thought in photos. When I was in my 20s, uh -huh. uh, I thought everybody thought in pictures. And so in my very first animal behavior work, I noticed that the cattle would stop at a shadow or a reflection. And other people weren't noticing that. And I couldn't figure out why. And and now I've figured out that a lot of people think more in words, and they simply just don't see it. You know, uh, engineers that are mathematical calculate risk. I see risk. Okay, let's look at the whole Boeing Max mess with the angle of attack sensor, an extremely fragile device that senses air angle. And they wired just one of those directly to the flight controls, Oh, there's no way I would have trusted a single sensor that fragile. But the problem is, is that the mathematician calculates the risk. He doesn't see the risk of maybe a pigeon or some other bird ripping that sensor off of the airplane. You're a genius in, in one way or another. It sounds like the way your brain operates is truly phenomenal. Well, I see stuff. Like I've let, uh, uh, two and a half years ago, I had a fabulous trip down to Cape Canaveral. I was just geeking out. I got to go in the vehicle assembly building. It was like so cool. And I got to visit a launch pad. They were just finishing up. And I saw something in that launch pad that shouldn't be there. We what? were there at 7 o'clock in the morning, and I watched a raccoon come out of the launch pad base and go down the steps off into the bushes. And I said, did anybody just see that raccoon go down those steps? Nope. I said, you better check to see what he's been chewing. He'll chew anything that you've touched, a lot mm. of tool handles. If you've touched a lot of wires inside one of the circuit boxes and the door is open, he would chew that. Nobody oh, my else goodness. Saw the raccoon. Nobody else saw the raccoon. I saw it. I saw it go down the stairs. And so. Out of the bottom of the, of the um, launch pad. And so was it inspected after you mentioned you noticed well, it? I, I don't know. I left. I was just there doing a lecture. That uh -huh. I was doing a lecture on uh, on uh, my diversity and disability awareness, and but in, but I told the project manager there that there was a raccoon in that in that launch pad base, and nobody else had noticed it. Right. The phenomenal thing here is that you're bringing up an excellent point that that raccoon was doing something there, and so what was it chewing well, on? What was it eating? Been sleeping. But the thing I know enough about animals to know that they will chew things that people have touched because it has salt on it. Now, Cape Can Canaveral wow. is near the sea, so maybe this raccoon won't be quite so salt-hungry. 
Uh, that's, that's a good thought. Tell us about your family growing up. Now, I know your mother fought very hard for you. I've watched snippets of this uh, this movie that Clara Dan- Danes made, uh, playing you, uh, acting you, if you will. Uh, your your mother was very well educated as well. She had gone to Harvard, correct? Well, she definitely did. In fact, she was one of um, Harvard's first non-traditional students to go back to school. Because when she had me, she only had about two years of her education done. Then when I was 14, she went back to school and just went right to the dean, talked to them and talked her way into doing that. And she has a Harvard on, on bachelor's in English that she got as a non-traditional student back before there were, were, were such things as non-traditional students going back to school. And she um, went to really good doctors, got me into speech therapy. The other thing, mother always encouraged the things I was good at. I was good at art. And she always encouraged that. And do you still practice your art? Well, the art I practiced in doing my design drawings. And then as I drew things, I can see the facility in my mind. In fact, I was just talking to my assistant right now. Uh, we're having to design some concrete work and figure out the slopes. And say, we're just figuring out, well, if I rewash these pens with a hose, how can we make the drain so it will drain when you wash the pen? Uh, and is that for cattle or pigs or both? It was for cattle. Mm-hmm. Um, so, of course, America has a fascination with uh, hamburgers. Uh, do you consume uh, as a yeah, diet? I eat, I, eat, um, I eat hamburgers, yep. I consume animal protein. And uh, there's been a lot of improvements. I've worked hard on, in, on improving handling. And one of the things that really got a lot of things to improve about 20 years ago was when big customers such as McDonald's and Burger King and Wendy's yeah. insist on standards and inspect plants. And they did that with both animal welfare and with food safety. And I worked on uh, on the implementing the uh, animal welfare program. And I developed a very simple way to evaluate a plant. It's sort of like uh, what, are the, what are the most important things for traffic? Well, you'd want to be monitoring speeding and monitoring running stop signs and red lights and, of course, drunk driving. Well, I did a similar really simple scoring system for meat plants, and they had to make certain numbers, very, very simple guidelines, and it, it worked. When big customers insist on things being done right, it can really make a difference. And what would be the best way for cattle to be raised in that sense for uh, consumption purposes, uh, meat for well, beef? all beef cattle, whether they're going to a store like Whole Foods or whether they or some other specialized uh, uh, grass-fed or whatever, the cows and the bulls live out on a pasture, and they always have. Well, it doesn't matter where the meat ends up going. The cows and bulls live on the pasture. Then the calves spend uh, the first half of their life on pasture for, for regular beef, and then the um, rest of their life uh, on uh, in a feed yard. Uh-huh. And, and, and do then, you, now if they're yeah. all grass-fed, they wouldn't be in a feed yard. But the thing a lot of people don't realize is that for beef, all of the um, bulls and cows live on on pasture. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And do you design those uh, pastures? Well, I've designed uh, cattle handling facilities uh, when they have to, you know, bring the cattle in to vaccinate them. The, my main thing we're done is design the cattle handling facilities, and if you're interested in cattle handling facilities i have a book um, temple grandin's guide to working with farm animals 
have a website, uh, grandon.com, just my last name, uh, .com. I've also I've written some textbooks on uh, animal handling. And Temple, for listeners, that parents that may be out there saying, hey, my, my child has autism uh, or lies on that, that, that spectrum, uh, what, what advice would you have for uh, a parent that has a child with autism? All right, let's just start with real little kids. If you have a two-year-old, three-year-old, or a four-year-old who's not talking, the worst thing you can do is nothing. You need to be working with that kid now. Don't wait two years to get a diagnosis. You already know something's wrong. He's not talking. He's rocking. He's not interacting with people. So the first thing you'd want to do with these little kids, especially if you're somewhere where you can't get services, is, is, is spend a lot of time with this kid playing games with them, little turn-taking games. Let's say he likes to line up toy cars. Well, then we're going to take turns lining up the toy cars. Then you start teaching him words. The worst thing you can do with little kids that are not talking is to just put them in front of electronics all day. That's what you don't do. Now, the problem with autism is once the kids get a little older, it varies from Silicon Valley um, a computer specialist, and people in Silicon Valley tend to play the labels, to somebody who never learns to dress themselves, and it's all got the same word. Now, there's some things that are kind of universal. Multitasking can be really hard. Also, people on the spectrum don't remember long strings of verbal information. And then another problem you might have is your kid might be terrified of loud noises like the vacuum cleaner or the hairdryer. And one of the ways to help them get over that is let the kid control the vacuum cleaner where they get to turn it on and off. And then that thing they don't like because it's too loud might go from being the worst thing in the world to the thing they like when they can control it. That's really important. So that's 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 great thinking, and th- 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 but there's also uh, the the child may have uh, varying degrees of. That's, uh, this is the problem. Autism comes all the way from slightly nerdy, where I'm um, I'm sure there's lots of um, engineers working in TV and radio stations that are slightly nerdy. There's no black and white dividing line between autism and non-autism, or slightly nerdy and autism. It's a true continuous trait. Mm-hmm. Um, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, sorry. And the problem is, is they now it's so broad that I see situations I don't like. Like I might see a twelve-year-old kid who ought to be in an advanced math class, uh, and he's in with uh, kids that are nonverbal. Uh, there's some great um, things you can find online for kids that are, you know, math kids. I just looked up the programming for the Dragon capsule for the uh, displays and all the programming. It's JavaScript. It's uh, and some, It's all uh, Linux open source software. It's stuff that when kids are home, they can learn it. They can learn how to program it. JavaScript, uh, uh, Android, uh, Chrome browser, and then C++ and C programming. That's what makes that spaceship work. Wouldn't that be a fun thing for a kid that's home all summer to learn how to program that? That is available online. I think that's so cool. I totally geeked out on the launch. I was glued to an iPad for the entire launch until they safely got in orbit. Yeah, that was great. And, and they've been there now for over a week, I believe, right? Well, they're going to be up there for a while. And, and I, you know, and then parents say, well, what do I do with my kids? And we're going to be locked up all summer now. And what I found helped me is I got to get up in the morning, 
have breakfast, have a get have a shower, and be dressed for work by eight o'clock. Get on a schedule. And now uh-huh. I'm spending this time to do a lot of writing. It would be a good time to you know do gardening, or learn how to program the Dragon uh, spaceship. I, uh, the the uh, educational materials for that are available. Other another great math site is Wolfram Mathematica. Uh, maybe learn how to use tools. We got kids today that are not learning how to use tools. Maybe that'd be a good time to learn how to build things out of wood. Introduce tools. If a kid likes Legos, I was using hammer, screwdriver, and pliers by second grade, and I was taught how to use them safely. Uh huh. Right. Right. So for a parent, what are certain things that they can look for? So the child has autism, but just because they have autism doesn't mean that they're going to learn uh, or advance in learning in one area than another. Of course, well, what tends to happen with autism is you tend to have uneven skills. You're going to have the art kids more like me. We're going to be the ones that are going to be art or we're going to be really clever mechanical um, kind of engineering stuff or skilled trades. Then you got your mathematicians. They're going to be your physicists, your programmers, and then you've got the word minds, where they think completely in words. And one study showed that people that go into psychology tend to be word thinkers. And what tends to happen when a kid's got a label like dyslexia or something like that, uneven skills, really good at one thing, really terrible in something else. As a visual thinker, I absolutely can't do algebra. It doesn't make any sense to me, and the only way I got through college is, thank goodness, Back in 1967, algebra was not required. <laughs> but you probably advanced in geometry. Never got to take geometry because they kept pounding away on algebra. And what uh-huh. should have been done is advancing straight to geometry. Uh-huh. Right. Uh, tell us about your time at Arizona State. W- what was it? That was where you earned your master's. Uh, That's where I got my master's. And one of the reasons I went there is um, um, I was in Eastern originally, and that's where my aunt's ranch was um, – about a three-hour drive from mm-hmm. Arizona State, so that's one of the reasons why I went there. And, and what were what were some of the Arizona from yeah. 1970 uh, to about to 1980? I lived ten years in Arizona, and that's where I started my career. And being a woman in a man's industry was a much bigger barrier than autism ever was. Oh wow, fascinating, interesting, much uh, bigger barrier. Uh, expand on that a little bit. Well, there's a scene in the HBO movie where they put bull testicles on my vehicle. That actually happened. Wow. And where I had the most problem was with the foreman level of management, the middle managers. That's where I had almost all my trouble. It was not the big owners of the feed yards. Most of them were actually quite nice to me. And then a really good contractor had seen some of my drawings, and he seeked me out to work with him, and he built a lot of my projects back in uh, in the 70s. So the maybe the middle management was somewhat uh, intimidated by your well, intelligence. Middle management was where I had had the trouble. Yeah, and uh, what was setting you apart? Uh, that you your ability to design uh, these. Well, I was good at designing, and and um, you know a lot of uh, people that are socially awkward have trouble with interviews. You know, my way I did an interview is I just laid the drawings out on the table, and I let the work sell itself. I'd show the. Uh, articles I'd written for trade magazines and my pictures, just lay the work out there. Or if a person is a computer programmer, show off the app you made for a phone, uh, show off some of your code. You don't put a whole book full of stuff out there. What you want to do is give them a 30 second wow. That's uh-huh. how I sold the jobs when I started out one little project at a time. 
30-second, wow, I think that's a phrase worth coining. Um, no, they, but you see, the mistake people make is they put too much stuff in their portfolio, and then they let it get shabby. I made that mistake. No, you got to have a crisp, freshly printed drawing. Or if you're using a tablet, it better be charged and don't have weird stickers on the cover. Get a new cover that's plain. Put it on your iPad. Now, what kind of drawings are you talking about? Sorry, Tim. What? What, what kind of drawings are you talking about? Uh, uh, architectural drawings of cattle handling facilities, mechanical drafting of, of, uh, of facilities for handling cattle. That's what I'm talking about. Uh-huh. Um, Temple, do you... If you, you want to see some of the drawings, you can go on Google Images and just write in Temple Grandin Drawings or Temple Grandin Blueprints, and you can see some of my drawings. Okay. Uh, do you have, thank you, do you have uh, uh, students uh, on, uh, that, you, that you teach that... Uh, yes, I have a class I teach every year, and one of the things I have the students do in my livestock handling class is do a scale drawing. And I'm finding now, in the last five years, that we've got students that have never used a ruler. And they'll ask, oh my goodness. why would it be important to yeah. make a scale drawing? And I realize some of you may not need to design a corral system, but maybe you might want to remodel your house. And that's where knowing how to make a scale drawing would be a useful skill to have. We've got kids today growing up totally separated from the world of the practical. That's unbelievable, and not using a no, rule. No, I'm serious. I'm serious, and and we we um, of course we had got shut down for COVID. Uh, they shut the university down on on March 13th, and I haven't traveled since. All the speaking engagements have been canceled, and and we had to get our classes online. And I had I had 54 students in my class, and I had two students that did not have a ruler in the house when we were on lockdown. Huh. Do you have students that uh, are also autistic? Uh, no, I have some graduate students right now. I have had students in my class that were autistic, and they did really well. Uh -huh. and, 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 of course, they had gotten themselves to a position to uh, enter the college and the university. And, and, well, and, yes, and, and um, I've had several students that are autistic, and they did well in my class. I made sure I helped them. And, and if, I've got four graduate students right now that are definitely not autistic. And, uh, uh, you know, things were for research right now, it's a real problem. Uh, fortunately, when they shut everything down, two of my students had just finished the project. So now we're spending the time this summer working on writing because we can't do much else. Mm -hmm. If you were to change one thing in American education, and that's broad, so let's, let's, let's uh, narrow it down to public education. I don't know um, what your education was in high school or not, but um, if you were to change one thing, um, and the reason I ask this is because I, I, I find it alarming that you had two students that had never even used a ruler or didn't have a ruler in their house. Um, what would you do to improve uh, the American, American education I'm gonna system? Put the I'm going to put the hands-on classes back in the school. So that's going to be cooking, sewing, art, woodworking, auto shop, welding, drawing, theater, all of the hands-on things. Because these are things that can turn into good careers. But I've been to schools where in most one high school you could learn algebra, English, and sports. And that's about all you could learn in that school. And that was a place I visited probably four or five years ago. Um, and we have a gigantic shortage right now of high-end skilled trades. And there's stuff that we don't know how to build anymore. And it's a class of engineering I call the clever engineering department. You might take a really clever uh, uh, you know, mechanical devices. I just had my copier break the other day. Mm -hmm. 
uh, paper feed doesn't work is one tiny part that's busted that probably can't be replaced, and the whole copy is going to have to be thrown out. Um, real, a lot of little fragile parts inside it. Um, but that paper feed mechanism was very clever how it was made. Um, but they, they, um, the mathematical engineer doesn't design that. Now, making a cheap plastic, that's the financial people. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. making the parts different. Uh, I, I could try to look up parts for some rollers inside this copier um, online, and uh, well, they don't seem to sell these things. Um, you know, it, 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 you know, we're now living where we just throw this stuff away, which is right. terrible. Yeah. I actually know what's wrong with it. I took the thing apart, and it's one stupid little tiny white roller that in the paper feed and turns on a metal shaft, and it's gotten worn where it turns on the metal shaft, so it doesn't turn straight, and it makes mm-hmm. a paper jam. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Little tiny part. But that'll lead you to buy a whole new machine, you're thinking. Well, then I had a monitor. This makes me mad, too, because I – I uh, uh, had this monitor that started flickering, and I looked it up on YouTube, and I know the the power supply was breaking. Okay. Uh Well, that's a part I probably could have bought, but then um, um, that that could have been fixed. But it was, you know, then I'd have to order the part, figure out, you know, try to find the part. Right, right. But but I know exactly what was wrong with that. Um. But I'd have to track down the part, and the other problem is I need the copier. Sure, right. You know, it's uh, but it's like it made me kind of. It was very clever how it's made inside. I actually took the whole paper feed thing apart, and and uh, but very cheaply constructed inside. Uh huh. I would have liked to have seen that made out of heavier materials, and then it wouldn't have been breaking. Could you use a camera? What do you mean, use a camera? Well, to make the photo, depending on how many copies you need to make. If it was just a couple of copies, perhaps oh, you use did. a camera. Well, yep. well, that's what I did. I, uh-huh. I had a paper that I, I actually I, I had a rough draft of a paper that I'm still an old fogey that writes by hand when I do my serious writing. I actually <laughs> yeah. photographed that paper because I, I was afraid to get lost. I actually did that. But so, I do need to get the copier fixed. So but, I think you've... Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead, Ken. You see, the point I'm trying to make is you've got two parts of engineering. You've got the clever engineering part, like the paper feed and the copier, or a packaging machine for food processing. And we're not making certain food processing equipment. I visited a chicken processing plant last yeah. year, and all of the specialized equipment came from Holland. Okay. Uh-huh. Well, because they kept skilled crates. I'll tell you what else Holland has got. Interesting. The number one best machine for making integrated chips to go inside comes from Holland. Interesting. And it goes back yeah. to they've kept the skilled traits. I call it the clever engineering department. We so, still have the mathematical yeah. engineering department, but you need us clever engineers. We're the ones that are going to see the raccoon inside the launch pad. Right. That's important. Right. right. And 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 what has what does American lack? Why why have they or why has America the American education? Why why have they taken out these hands on well, classes? Things, those kinds of classes are expensive, and I said one of the things we need to be resurrecting is there's a lot of retired mechanics, retired artists. I mean, we can start resurrecting some of the stuff in people's garages, and then of course we've got the liability issue. We're going to have to deal with that. Um, but we're we're get losing out on. You see, a lot of people that are kind of autistic 
are the ones that do things. When I worked in construction. I worked with construction for 25 years. Wow. And I'm going to estimate that 20% of the really skilled welders, skilled machinery designers, only had the title of draftsman. They should have had a bigger title than that. Were either autistic, dyslexic, or ADHD, and I am saying that seriously. Hmm. And and one of these uh, two guys I worked with had twenty patents each, and they right, were you just as that. autistic as they could be, and they made very clever machinery. I can't tell you exactly what it is because I can't identify them. Mm-hmm. They're undiagnosed people with autism, but they're people. Um, they're my generation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, tell us about we've heard we've heard about your mother. She sounds like a, an incredibly amazing woman. What about your father? What kind of influence did he have in your your upbringing, Temple? Well, he didn't have so much of an influence. And I, oh, my mother has a book people might want to read. It's called "A Thorn in My Pocket," and I'm mm. not the thorn. That's a, a Robert Frost poem. I, and you then you learn all about that. But mother was the one that was the important mentor. She had a very good sense of how to stretch me. You know, there's a t- protect autistic kids and I'm seeing too many smart kids. Mm-hmm. They might be getting straight A's in yeah. high school and they've never gone shopping. They aren't learning to work. They aren't learning basic skills. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Well said. And I think you're, you personify uh, the ability that someone that may, may have autism is able to achieve. You, you've, you've got Absolutely. yourself a PhD. There's, um, um, I think um, uh, Einstein had no speech till age three. Thomas Edison was really different. What would happen to Michelangelo today? Michelangelo oh. was a sixth grade dropout. Wow. And uh, yeah, uh, he stopped school at 12. His dad wanted him to be a, a kind of a legal person, learn a, um, Latin and write legal documents. And uh-huh. his dad hated art. Oh, too bad. And uh, <laughs> what would happen to him today? Yeah, we, we wouldn't have his... I ask these questions. Yeah, right. We wouldn't have his beautiful statues, that's for sure. Um, exactly. You see, that that's the thing. Or the drawings, right? The Sistine Chapel. Well, he, for, he grew up in an environment where that art was taking place all around him. And then he got apprenticed into it. And it, that, the education stopped at age 12. Uh, they didn't call it a sixth grade dropout. It just—it's very well documented, but it was age twelve, which would be sixth grade in the, here, you know, in our system. Yeah, yeah. Temple, tell us about uh, Colorado State. What took you there? Uh, what was specific about that program that you wanted to uh, contribute to? I knew some people in Colorado State. Um, it was also um, close to the—you know—there's a lot of cattle stuff going. I had got my PhD out of the University of Illinois. And um, I liked the West. I wanted to get back to the West. And Colorado State had an excellent animal science program. They also um, had some people I knew there. And I just called them up. And then I started working for them part-time. And what was that thesis that you – what was your – at the University of Illinois? What was the top – The University of Illinois, I did a thesis on environmental enrichment for pegs and its effect on dendritic growth in the brain. That's what my thesis was on. And I've discussed that um, in one of my books, Animals Make Us Human, whole first chapter I discussed what I learned in my thesis. And sometimes projects don't always come out the way the hypothesis is. My advisor wasn't too happy about that. Um, But uh, it was a pig project. But I wanted to get back to the West. And um, Colorado State, I knew some people there. 
Yeah. It, so I had a good program, and so that's how I ended up here, and I've been in Colorado now for 30 years. Oh, wow. My goodness. Um, are there any similarities that you can draw between the way a pig thinks and the way a cattle thinks? Well, cattle are much more followers. It's more of a herd animal than pigs are. Pigs out in the wild live in, a sm in smaller groups. Cattle, uh, well, the, they, some of the behaviors are the same, but uh, cattle's a grazing animal. Uh, there's a lot more of a tendency to follow the leader than, than pigs would have. Uh-huh. Okay. That's, that's wonderful because I think both are great out. A lot of people are keeping pigs as pets now, right? Aren't they? Yep. For, you know, pig me, uh, the small pigs. Yep, yeah. And even those get quite big. <laughs> what, what would you, what would you change about, uh, the cattle industry right now in the United States or even globally? One of my concerns with animals, and I also am going to put this concern on dogs and pets too, okay. is what I call biological overload where we push an animal's biology, like, for example, the bulldog. They have selected so much for extreme traits that this animal has trouble breathing, trouble walking, and it can't birth naturally. Now, that was done for um, appearance trait. Now, you take a production animal like the dairy cow, for example, breed her just for milk, 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 then we start to have problems with reproduction. Or you're breeding cattle just for more and more meat, right. and they've started to have problems with heart failure. Um, it's pushing the animal... Uh, too hard either with genetic selection or maybe maybe too much grain in the feed. But one of my big concerns is the genetics because something like the bulldog is completely genetics. And that's what I call bad becoming normal. Because if you go onto Google Images and you look up bulldog's dilemma, they use that keyword on Google Image, you'll find a picture from the 1938 New York Times where the bulldog actually has a snout, he's got some legs, and how did it change into something that's got so many problems today? Well, that's what I call bad becoming normal. It changed slowly over time, and people don't realize it. Talk I'm about very concerned about where yeah. genetics is going, and this has all been done with natural breeding, all with natural breeding, no genetic GMOs here. Talk about the influence of the internet in regards to how, as human beings, we're now thinking and how our brains are being evolved. What What is, in your view, is this a good thing? Is Are there well, downsides? Are not differentiating between, you know, good information on the internet and, and the junk. And I kind of, there's a, so much good information on the internet. Yeah. And one of the things I have my students do, because i to learn how to use scientific databases is they pick out any subject and animal behavior that interests them, but I want it narrow enough to force them to dig into databases. You have Google Scholar, you've got Science Direct, you've got PubMed, uh, you've got Web of Science, and learn how to use these databases and look up the, uh, the scientific articles on, on any subject that interests them. And what I have found when I do this assignment about one-third of the students, these are undergraduate students, already know how to use databases. And there's one-third where they don't have a clue, hmm. and they're learning something really important here. Mm -hmm. And then we and, – and where they're, they're amazed at what they can learn from these databases. And I want them to pick out something that really interests them. It has to be animal behavior because it is an animal behavior class. But, I mean, if they're interested in the behavior of bees, that's mm -hmm. fine. But I want them to pick me two journal articles off of the different databases to answer a question they might have about animal behavior. 
Mm-hmm. And I, I want to make sure that before they graduate in college, they know how to use scientific databases. Brilliant. Wonderful. Um, at Temple, as we wind down in the last few moments here, um, I'd like uh, I'd like listeners. What, what what can listeners expect from you moving forward? Uh, a new book that you're writing. Well, uh, I'm working on a book right now because I have not. I'm, we're still pretty well locked down right now. Okay. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's going to be on visual thinking. Why is visual thinking important? I'm concerned about you know losing these skills. Yep. Um, yep. And education i think has been kind of taken over by the verbal thinkers and when you think about something verbally you tend to overgeneralize. and i find this happens all the time when i do a seminar on animal behavior or i do a seminar on autism people ask very vague generalized questions oh i'm a teacher how do i handle autistic kids in the classroom or my dog is crazy what can i do about it and they expect me to answer that hmm. i have to have a lot more information about the dog before before i could um tell you why he's crazy is he crazy happy crazy biting mm-hmm. i don't I, I don't have enough information and right. and and visual thinking is much more specific in thinking of a speci- you know then i ask a bunch of questions so i can make a picture of the dog's either happy or snarling but i have to know right it, it, it's uh, and visual thinking is important and the first step that people have to know is that different kinds of thinking exist and once you realize that, then you can start to see where these skills can complement each other. I've had students that have been highly verbal thinkers. They're good at all the things I'm bad at. Some of my books have co-writers because I need the verbal thinker for the organization. Uh, they, When it comes to engineering, we do the more – we're training the students how to do the more abstract engineering. But what we're not training students to do is the more – the clever engineering department. And what the latest research has shown is, is a person who's really good with the object visualization, which would be me, is going to be terrible at the more mathematical kind of visualization. Right. A person really good at the mathematical visualization is not going to see the raccoon or see a pigeon busting off the angle of attack sensor. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's the different kinds of minds there. You need to have both. And is there too much emphasis on the on the on the, on the mathematical equations? Perhaps yeah, there's too much society. emphasis, and and I see um, math uh, engineering professors that have these students have better visual spatial skills, which would be the mathematics. What I'm saying is you've got to have both, because um, the people I work with, which I'd call clever engineering department, all the people I work with, we never touch boilers and refrigeration. We don't understand that stuff. That's for the more mathematical engineering, mm-hmm. and we've got those skills. But we're losing the skills um, for the very, you know, clever uh, mechanical kind of things, fixing things. I'm, right. I'm very concerned about the loss of skills. And right now, Holland has got the premier chip-making machine of the entire world. Interesting. And I actually saw a picture of it, and it's a complicated mechanical device. And, um, yeah, some visual thinkers probably were involved in that along with the mathematicians. You see, the different minds can complement each other. Correct. Right. They complement each other uh, because, like, to build a whole food factory, you need to have both kinds of engineers. Um, I'm gonna. I want to say a word, and I'd like. I'd like to. I'd like you to tell listeners what what comes to your mind. Just what what comes. What's the first thing that comes to your mind? And it's a current event happening across really the globe now. Again, uh, protests. What comes? What comes to your mind when when I mention I'm that word? I'm seeing all the pictures from the various uh, news stations and things mm-hmm. like that. That's what I see. 
Yeah. Um, Temple, um, some closing thoughts for you, for listeners. Something for listeners to go away with. We thank you for joining the program. Some closing thoughts for listeners. Well, let's develop kids' strengths. Um, the kids that, you know, let's, let's um, get a lot of hands-on things in giving kids more opportunity to find out what they might be good at. Um, I, I want to see, especially kids that think differently, um, get out there and be everything that they can be. It's what I want to see. And I think a lot of kids today are not getting exposed to enough different things to figure out what they might want to do for a career. Mm-hmm. Very well said. Beautiful. Dr. Temple Grandin, ladies and gentlemen. Temple, thank you very much for joining Discussions of Truth. We look forward to inviting you back on the program. Well, thank you very, very much for having me. Okay, and there's that intro music uh, coming in. So, um, what a wonderful treat it was to receive uh, Temple onto the program. Um, again, uh, uh, she didn't, didn't spoke, speak much about her father, but her mother had incredible influences on her uh, and her life, and certainly in so much that um, her achievements uh, spawned the the the. Uh, uh, production of Temple Grandin, the movie, uh, played by actress Claire Danes. Um, she teaches courses on livestock behavior and facility design at CSU, Colorado State, and consults with livestock industry on facility design, livestock handling, and animal welfare. She's appeared on TV shows such as 2020, 48 Hours, CNN, and Larry King, Primetime, 60 Minutes, and Today's Show. Uh, includes uh, broadcast throughout the world. Um, Temple Grandin, Dr. Temple Grandin. She was inducted, by the way, into the Women's Hall of Fame in 2017. In 2018, she was made a fellow by the American Association for the Advancement of Science. So whether you are a child growing, you're a student, what are the level, you're a parent. And regardless if you... Uh, uh, you have autism in your life, it's part of your life, whether you have it or uh, your friend has it or family member has it, coworker, whatever it may be. Uh, Temple is an incredible uh, uh, example of overcoming challenges, regardless of whatever your challenge may be, folks. Overcome it, work hard, stay focused, and uh, folks, until next week, by the way, uh, I will be hosting next week, uh, based in Hong Kong, author of Professor Everywhere. This is current book, Nick Binge. We'll be talking about artificial intelligence. And uh, former. Uh, the second hour will be former uh, Secret Service uniformed division officer under, the, under Bill Clinton. Gary J. Byrne will be joining the program. Be closing out this month with uh, author William Arkin, American Coup: How a Terrified Government Is Destroying the Constitution. So, what a wonderful way to uh, end this day with uh, Dr. Temple Grandum. And again, folks, regardless of your challenge, you can overcome it. Keep fighting, work at it, and until next time, folks, be awesome.